Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be answering the top 10 questions on Google. That's right. We're looking at the most common searches of what people are asking about Catholicism in Google, and we're going to be answering them for you. I wonder what Google would say that the best talk show is online. Well, I should ask, right? Yeah. Hey Google, what's the best talk show online? Catholic Talk Show. Father Richard is much better than Father Schmitz. The two Ryans are okay also. I can live with Howard. <laughs> <laughs> excited about this episode obviously Google's you know got some feedback somewhere right <laughs> I mean we're number one in Slovenia number one in in Ireland number one in another another place in the There's world an obscure nation we're number one in, in Father Indonesia. Richard's mother's heart too yes. that, that's that's true and yeah. we're number one on Google that's pretty cool yeah. Yeah. yeah so Google is a really powerful search engine and you know, I think Google really can help you understand the mind of what people are searching for by going in there and looking at it's the top searches. Yeah. You know, I mean, their algorithm is built in such a way that it kind of tells you what's the zeitgeist, what's on people's mind. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to go in and we're going to see what are the questions that people are, are most commonly asking about Google. So we'll go in and say, why do Catholics and then what the, you know, what it auto finishes as the questions, we're going to respond oh, cool. to them. Nice. So... Um, before we do that, um, you need to click and subscribe to this. That's stuff. right. I mean, and like follow at the end us of the day. Yeah, I mean, truly, follow hey. us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah. First of all, Stitcher, Podbean. Podbean. I mean, that's a podcast platform for Absolutely. those of you who are regular people. Yeah, like not living in a cave or something. <laughs> <laughs> we love our patrons. Like we couldn't do this without you. Please check out Catholic Talk Show forward slash Patreon. Let me see your phone real quick. We got yeah. some really cool swag, including some. Sweatshirts. I know it's getting cold out there, guys. That's it. Great time to be a patron. Hey, 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 Google. What should our listeners do? Click to like, share, and subscribe button. You should also become a patron. There you, there you go. go. That's what Google says. Listen to wow. Google. <laughs> Listen to Google. Google knows. So I think this is going to be a fun episode <laughs> because this again, this is showing what. The average person is saying, why mm -hmm. do Catholics do this? What is this Catholicism thing all about? Um, so if you're I already, can't wait to see these auto-generated questions. Yeah, so cool. if you're already Catholic, um, these will help you answer these questions because these are probably on the minds of people who aren't Catholic around you. Excellent. And if you're not Catholic, well, hopefully we can give you some answers that you know save you a couple clicks you know, yeah. on the Googles. Taps it a clack-de-clack. Clickety-clack-clack. All right. So when we type in, why do Catholics into Google, here's the questions that come up. So the first one, why do Catholics Google search pray to Mary? <laughs> pray to Why do Mary. Catholics pray to Mary? Wow. I think that's the number one question. And I would say it's a very simple thing. We pray to Mary because we're asking her intercession, not because she's a goddess, not because she... Um, and and yeah. I think the premise of the question is already off. So it's like yeah, it's right. pray through yeah. right. Mary. Mary. Yeah, it's it's not that we would pray to Mary. We have interaction with Mary, but you know, again, you know, Mary is there as mother to 
inspire a greater contemplative gaze on yeah. her son, Jesus. So, you know, in the same way that you would turn to a pastor or through a pastor to come and encounter Christ, you know, differently through a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mary is the fullness of the lens that magnifies the Lord more so than any other pastor or any other saint mm-hmm. in, in the history of the world. Like Mary is set out in that manner. Yeah. And we, so why it's so widely considered that we pray to Mary and like, I mean, even, even we try to understand why Protestants or other folks who, you know, don't pray through Mary, right. Why they would even say that about us without even coming to us and even asking us, like going to a source and even asking just the fact that that is not considered Mm -hmm. among a wide array of face, Protestant face. Yeah. I mean, they don't even get it right. Yeah. And you know, it would be great if you got it right. And you had contention there, and we agreed to disagree. Mm-hmm. But ninety-five percent of the time, it, this, yeah. that's not even there, and that's yeah. a legitimate adult conversation mm-hmm. you're having. And I think more so now than ever, people are generally going online and trying to find out more. Yep. You know, so many of the converts to the Catholic faith that I've met over the years, you know, they were like, "Wow, I never realized that that's actually what the church teaches." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when that metanoia happens, it's like, "Wow, you know, okay, I could see." I could see now what's being described in Jesus's desire for us to truly be one. Mm -hmm. And that oneness is is seen through the intercession of the saints, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, through the intercession of one another, turning toward each other's poverty and entering into a form of charity and outreach. That's right. And there's some very specific terms that Catholics teach. So I think this question is a loaded question. I think most people who are doing this are saying, do Catholics worship Mary? Mm-hmm. That, that's the underpinning. I can you can just For tell sure. from the conversations I've had a million times. And there's a very technical term that worship and adoration is due to God alone. Along by Catholics right. do not worship Mary in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. If they do, and if their popular piety gets to the side of worshiping Mary, they are heretics. They are wrong. And Mary herself would not want that. Mary herself only wants her son to be glorified and worshiped. Look at what Mary did in the wedding feast of Cana. That's right. Do whatever he says. That's right. Mm -hmm. So the terms are, there's adoration and worship, but what we give to Mary is called hyperdulia, which means respect and veneration as the mother of God for her unique role in the participation of salvific history and as a model of fidelity to Christ. Mm-hmm. So she is a model and she is a um, intercessor. You know, and I think it's also important like to understand the time that these that the scriptures were written, there was queen mothers. And you would go, you wouldn't go to the king because the king, you know, you know, it could be a little bit serious, cut your head off. So you ask the queen mother, and the queen mother goes and then petitions the king on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So you're not asking the queen because the queen didn't have the right to grant it. But you go to the queen, the king's mother and say, hey, I'm really having this problem. Can you help me with this or that? And then they go to the king because it's it's a little bit easier coming when from you, that. When you think of like a, a mother turning to her son that's a king yeah. and asking for whatever, it's like my mother, you know, you need you need a water heater? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you need know, a water heater? Okay. Let's make it happen. You know. But you know, if 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 you're looking at through through um a conflated kind of uh, perception of, of what this is all, you know. And, skepticism. Yeah, and skepticism. Yeah. And, you know, it's just unfortunate because the enrichment of having the Blessed Mother 
and and looking at Christ through her eyes, but then also having a beautiful relationship with her as mother yeah. is is one of the most wonderful I, things of the spiritual life of the church. I look at my mother moved next door to me, and I have a bunch of friends in the neighborhood, and they all come by and swing by and check on her. Mm-hmm. They they come over and fix stuff because they know that I can't fix anything. <laughs> you know, like they 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 love my mother. Yeah. And and honestly, I've become better friends through that with them. I'm not saying this is the identical yeah. thesis here. But what I am saying is that people know me more. Yeah. They know me more. Mm-hmm. The, my friends know me more because they know my mother. Yeah, yeah. that's to Jesus through Mary. Yeah. You know, that's very much, you know, like Louis Those the Mother. Those are the dynamics, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And, and then I think one last important thing is, I mean, you will ask your neighbors to pray for you, you know, if you're going to have a surgery or if you're going through a hard time, you lost your job or you got a you know, big interview coming up or, you know, you're a kid and... You, you know, you got a big sports, you know, opportunity or you're trying to get into a college, you ask people to pray for you. Why would you not ask the very mother of God herself to pray for you as well? We are asking Mary, pray for us, not grant us anything. We are saying, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Pray for us. Mm -hmm. Go to your son and ask that he grant it because you lived a perfectly immaculate life and we know that you are in heaven with your son so please intercede on our behalf, right? And all That's generations it. will call me blessed is another component of that yeah. uh, scripturally sure. is is we are a part of the generation of today that honors Mary and calls her blessed and turns toward her to beseech her for her prayers mm-hmm. and really to educate us in the unique perspective that she has and looking through that particular uh, glimpse and lens is like so informative to the Christian life. And mm-hmm. and look at the application of what, what Delacrosse was just saying. I mean, how can you come to those dynamics and looking at Christ and, and, and his mother without that type of kind of reconciliation? Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. All right. So let's get to the next question. So th- was that like the first? That, that was, was the, the number first one. one. Number that's one. The, these are the so auto suggestions. So that's how it works. So okay. that's the most asked question. So here's the next one. That's Google people are asking, why do Catholics make the sign of the cross? Oh, that's a very good Interesting. Yeah. That that I think it's a very unique two. thing to Catholics, though, and, and to unique. the Orthodox. I mean, yeah. most Christians yeah. outside of the true church, of the Catholic Church, yeah, the don't make the sign church. Of, That's of, true. The of Apostolic the Church, in every respect, throughout the lineage of the greater history of the church, make the sign of the cross. There is variation, and we went through that yeah. with uh, our brother, Ukrainian brother. Yeah. Who, who My taught, cousin, Father Andrea. Yeah, that was awesome. So, you know, the Latins... You know, yeah. from right shoulder to well, no, left, to left shoulder, shoulder to right shoulder, right. and then you know they the catch east the blessing. Very, yeah. yeah, they go backwards. Yeah, they catch the blessing. One mm-hmm. of the things that I've done as a particular devotion for more than a decade is you know, I I start the prayer the Latin mm-hmm. way and the prayer the the Greek way uh, just as a as a miniature constant prayer for for unity. But explain the sign mm-hmm. of the cross and how we do it and why we do it. Well, you know, the the cross is a symbol for our faith that begins at baptism, really, when we are signed with the cross and when our parents and our godparents make this sign and, and insignia, this this uh, this mark over our personhood that we are going to live a life conformed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what we face 
intellectually and spiritually and physically is the reality of suffering. And if this is what is going to be experienced firsthand in our human life, and ideally we're being baptized as infants, we're looking at our suffering through this instrument that is not the definitive end of our human existence. The cross, you know, being an instrument of torture is also an instrument of, de of death, of, of commissioning death into the world. But what Christ has done is conquered death itself through the cross so that he rising from the grave rises on our behalf to show us that our humanity is not subjected to death in Christ, we are subjected through the promise and through the covenant of his blood and his atoning sacrifice. We are called to more than this human existence. So the cross is that instrument that is signed over us at baptism and has become a tradition and a custom of even when you are being blessed by a priest who has the proper authority to bless you or when you are blessed by your parents or your godparents in the same manner by making the sign of the cross you are you are entering into your baptismal identity and your life being conformed to that yeah, mystery you're blessing yourself through the sign of the cross and invoking the trinity mm -hmm. in the name of the father, father in the name the of the son, son. And, and the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit right? Amen. God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the Godhead. And, and, that's who we pray to. That's mm -hmm. it. And yeah. I think every prayer, reminding ourselves that we worship a triune mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. um, and and, that and the, a God who gave, poured his life out mm -hmm. to, to, to us and gave himself over to death and torture so that the moment <clears throat> that we receive forgiveness for our sins, that we're, you know, uh, just built back up with mm -hmm. his love... That that was the the cornerstone for this all to be something that he's given yeah. us. So the cross is, in my opinion, it's it's a, it's a, a great sign of contradiction, but it's also an immense uh, a projection of how God loves us. That's right. It's something else, because this is this is a mystery that we could probably just spend an entire yeah, sure, sure. you know show on. So you know, not only is it the sign of the cross now, it is yeah. in the name of the Father. And what I always this is just kind of personal piety here. But you know, I what I perceive intellectually is that the Father has been revealed to me in the person of Jesus Christ. So I can come to intellectually know the Father through Jesus Christ, so that my mind is being ascended to the Father, and then the Son, Jesus, entering into our human flesh, the incarnational act of God, so that the flesh is conquered. And disciplined, and and at the level of the bowels, at the level of the stomach, where our stomach can be our God, our flesh is addressed by Christ, so that there is a certain redemption active in my in my bowels, in my in my stomach, that I'm not going to live the appetitive life. I want to live the spiritual life. So Christ govern me in my appetitive nature, draw me more deeply into the Spirit and in this in the fruits of the Spirit. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm I'm blessing my arms so that my my hands and my arms may be at the service of the gospel and the fruits of the spirit in in the world so you know there's there's all sorts of iterations of this throughout you know people's personal piety mm -hmm. that's just kind of mine um and and it's the same thing when when the catholics make the sign of the cross over their forehead at the proclamation of the gospel and over their lips and over their heart. Again, we're, we're placing these symbols of the cross over the senses and over our lips that we may speak the word of God and over our hearts that it may be contained in the treasury of our heart. Mm -hmm. So here's the next question. And this one's kind of like the first. Why do Catholics pray to saints? 
Mm-hmm. So I think we covered a lot of this in our discussion about Mary, but I think a really important thing to make a distinction about Catholic theology is that we do not think saints are dead people. We absolutely, by the virtue of them being called a saint, we believe that they are truly in heaven in the beatitude. In a state of a beatitude. Yeah, in the presence of God, mm-hmm. before the throne of God. And they are are also our intercessors. Now, saints have particular patronages, right, in the Catholic tradition. So, for example, uh, I think a really good one is maybe like the saint of... Um, uh, like the, like when someone has cancer, they will pray to St. Peregrine, right? Because St. Peregrine himself was a saint who suffered from cancer. So we're taking somebody who has experienced something that we're struggling with or something that we're desiring to grow in holiness with and who has done it to a level that is um, approved and pleasing to God. And we're asking them, give us the same... Uh, intercession to God and ask for the same graces that you were granted, right? So it's not like they're little demigods or little trinkets and like little magical, like, well, we have the God of the forest, we have the God of this and that and that, like the Romans had. Like a polytheistic approach. Yeah, or it's not like that. I think the best way to describe it is just going back to the conversation of we're, we all ask people to pray for us. We hope we all do. Um, the response of that is that we would receive more grace, that we would receive through the petitions of those interceding for us, that we are asking them, in some cases, begging them to pray for us, mm-hmm. right? That, that that would have merit, right, yeah. before the throne of God. And, and that, is, that is the base of the conversation, right? You elevate it now to the fact that we, as Catholics, believe that there are saints with God in heaven through the course of making saints, and we've done a video on this, mm-hmm. um, that their intercession not only is present, but it also has demonstrable impact in lives of people who have asked for their intercession. Yeah. So if anything, it's one step below Mary, mm-hmm. who's the fairest of all. Right. You know? And so you, that's great. And I, you said a lot there that I want to unpack, but you said one step below Mary. We give worship to God alone. We give hyperdulia to Mary. We give dulia, dulia. to the saints, right? right. So you're, you're super on the mark <laughs> there that it's one step below Mary because these are people who have cooperated in grace and who have lived lives of heroic virtue that is, you know... What, what I don't understand is if... Okay, you can, you can counter this or talk about it or ask the question, but to not ask for a saint to intercede for you simply because it's like something you don't believe in. It's like, why not try? Mm-hmm. Like if you're literally moving from your heart, you're asking other people for prayer. What's so hard mm-hmm. for you to say, you know what? I'm going to enlist or ac- access this treasury of the majority of Christian history can can expose, mm-hmm. right? Through historical you know, documents, through the saints. I don't understand why people won't try it. You know, how, do you, like, how do you feel as a father, Delacrosse, of, of your kids entering into a deeper relationship with each other and being supportive to each other and helpful to each other in their suffering as opposed to being the, you know, the source of, of each other's suffering? Like when you, see, when you see your kids interacting that way, does that not make your heart rejoice? Yeah, it makes me not want to kill him. You know what I mean? Uh, no, it, you're, it, you're right. I mean, that's, uh, you know, my brothers and I were friends, you know, 
our friends now, close friends, and growing up, you know, it was not what well, was not the case. So, you know, you look at that and, and you hope for their friendship to continue. Mm-hmm. I do think having a large family has helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think the prism of a, of a family really showcases the dynamics of, of God sure. as father, too. And, and looking through that sense of, of, a, of what a family reflects within the sentiments of a father or a mother, you know, God, our heavenly father, wants his children to interact at, at a family. profoundly deep level of peace and joy and ch- active charity and 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 you know love that sense of of what a, a father desires is really seen in the in the mystery of the saints and yeah. and how God has transformed their affections and their sinfulness to a life of virtue and and heroic virtue really yeah. you know and and showcasing that we have now examples mm-hmm. we have intercessors, and we can relate to people who have that uh, tremendous heroic state of virtue that we should strive after. Yeah, and this will be kind of like the technical aspect to this answer is that the church believes that, well, the Catholic Church teaches that the church is the body of Christ, and it's the visible sign of unity of the Holy Spirit, and that there is three divisions or three unique states of being in the church. There's the church militant, which militant means in action still, which is us on earth, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the church suffering, and that is the church of the people who are in purgatory being uh, purified of their sins. So they're part of the church still because they haven't received eternal damnation. They are going to get to heaven one day, but they're suffering. And then there's the church triumphant. And the church triumphant is they are in their triumph. They have won the race. They are in heaven, and God has granted them through the mercy of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, a place in the Father's house. They are in triumph. So we, as the church militant, are praying through the intercession of the church triumphant. And we could also be praying to God on behalf of the church suffering. So it's That's really... Why praying for the souls of purgatory yeah. is, is a charitable act while That's we're right. here on earth. Because we're a family. We're all part of the the true union of all of our souls as the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. and that there is this interplay of prayers between, for, and on behalf of. So reversely, you know, looking at it this in this in opposite direction, Mm -hmm. you know, looking at people after they, you know, after these apostles die, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, oh, well, what value do they have? Or, you know, these people that live heroic, like what value do they have? And it's like almost like we strip the dignity of their human life Mm -hmm. from them when we we aren't honoring them or, or reverencing them. Um, and in the same way that we would go to a cemetery and, and visit a loved one and remember them with, with the utmost ache and longing, mm-hmm. um, you know, God desires that for, for our interaction with all people. And, and when I go to the cemetery, it's not just about my family members. It's about walking around and respecting the people that are there yeah. because there's mm-hmm. still dignity to human life, not only from conception, but even in the state of death, there's still dignity tied to the human person. And, and there's something that is, is reverential toward God in that respect. All right. So next question. And this is, you know, I mean, I can see why these are the top questions in Google because they're very, you know, kind of fundamental. So Basically. why do Catholics eat fish on Friday? Oh. Number one, fish we is don't. delicious. <laughs> we don't eat fish on Friday anymore as a church. <laughs> well, yes, we do. We should. We, we should. should. And, yeah. and it's, not, just, very it's particularly not just on, you know, Lent or Advent where we would employ some form of uh, discipline to our appetites. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, this is something that should be exercised, 
year round mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, and, and has been a fast in the church for a greater majority of church history. Yeah. I mean, look, if you look in scripture and you look in the Old Testament and you even look at uh, our Lord's ministry, I mean, fasting is an enormous part of seeking holiness. Mm-hmm. And um, and you mentioned this earlier in your in your devotion, your personal devotion to making the sign of crosses, um, controlling your repetitive nature and making sacrifices of the body so that you can greater have a greater focus on Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, why do Catholics eat fish specifically? It doesn't have to be fish, but traditionally fish was... Or a vegetarian uh, diet, yeah. really. Yeah, but like traditionally fish was free, right? Any peasant, any person can go down to the waterside and get a fish. But to have meat or chicken meant an investment of time. Or if you were living in like the medieval times, you know, to get meat, you had to go hunt on state-owned land. If you wanted to kill a stag, you had to go to the king's land and get permission, and eating meat was a feast, right? What this is is an act of sacrifice on Fridays, specifically to help us on Fridays in memory of our Lord's sacrifice, but very specifically in Lent in preparation for Easter, that we are making these sacrifices to prepare ourselves to really fully enter into the Paschal mystery when Easter happens. Yeah. Yep, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's also. Delicious. I mean, it's a pretty. This is a pretty simple one. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, and and. Um, I mean, honestly, what you said was yeah, way I beyond mean, what I. It was know. perfect. But, it was but perfect. you made a good point that we don't eat fish necessarily anymore. Now that discipline has been waived by the bishops, um, you know, which is their prerogative to do where you are still to make a different penitential act on yeah. a Friday. It doesn't have to be abstinence. It, it could be, be prayer. could be prayer. Extra it could prayer. be service. Mm-hmm. It could be abstinence from something else. Maybe you instead you have a very strong affinity for coffee yeah. or smoking or whatever it is. Simple. Or, or yeah. like, you know, you're making a sacrifice mm-hmm. to tie your body to the memory of our Lord's, um, you know, Death. suffering. Yeah. yeah, when we relax these things, though, it's like... Just goes out the window, you know, mm-hmm. and I just hope that more and more bishops so much can be gained the through absence. the practice of fasting. Oh, big not time! Not just for our own personal mm-hmm. um, relationship with God, uh, but but also as a church. I think if if we come together and fast together as a church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously that has to be promoted. Um, you know, by bishops, by their mm-hmm. priests. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how that works on a parish level, if you can come in and say it, if the bishop's not, you know, saying it or, or whatever. But, you know, I, you know, you look at uh, Exodus 90, I mean, that that is a, a fraternity that develops out of fasting, right? That's I mean, a great that is, point. That is like, and, and, and tens of thousands of guys have done this. And mm-hmm. you talk to a guy that's done it, They've got brothers, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was over at Nick's house the other day, and Vinny came in, and, you know, I'm like, how do you guys know each other? Well, you know, we, we did Exodus 90 together, mm-hmm. you know, and that really formed a bond with us. That is, I think, a, a fundamental relationship point for a lot of people in the church to do that with each other, to support each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's a great point. Exodus 90. <clears throat> Exodus 90 is one of the sponsors of our show, and it is an app that helps men find holiness and to get themselves closer to God through some very core fundamental practices inspired by the desert fathers of the early church. And that's prayer, fraternity, and asceticism. And asceticism encompasses things like fasting, fasting uh, corporal um Disciplining the senses, cold showers. Cold Mm -hmm. showers. 
So what it does is you're using all these practices that was developed by these ancient church fathers living in the desert to kill the appetitive nature of the person Mm -hmm. and to then instead desire a hunger for God, right? Mm -hmm. And a desire for food that never goes bad, right? The word of the Lord and the body and blood of Christ. So uh, if you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Exodus, you can check out the app. And it's really great. Like Ryan said, tens of thousands of men have used this app to, number one, find fraternity, find other men who are willing to make sacrifices to make themselves better and build a society and a culture where you have strong men who believe in God and believe in virtue. It's also about asceticism. You know, this gives you a very concrete program to get yourself back and reoriented towards God. And then prayer. It teaches you a lot of great different prayer practices to really, um, again, Focus your mind, focus your your heart towards God. So go to Exodus 9, catholictalkshow.com forward slash Exodus, and you can try the app for free. And, I mean, even if you're sitting there thinking, 90 days, guys? Like, nah, I'll pass on 90 days. There's so many other things, too. Like, they have daily gospel reflections. They have different parable presentations. They have different programs for you that's going to meet you exactly where you are on your journey that hopefully you gear up for that full 90 days. But no doubt the effect has been seen all over the world and by all different types of communities that have responded to the challenge of entering into a time of exodus to exit the world and to enter more deeply into the spiritual life. When we talk about entering more deeply into the spiritual life, what you're doing is you're, you're getting rid of clutter, disciplining the senses, but you're also allowing and presenting room to be inspired for prayer, mm-hmm. which is our next sponsor, Hollow. We're very grateful for them. As we all have the app, yep. we all use the app. But having that space to include and introduce more prayer into your life, mm-hmm. while you cut yourself away from some of these things, man, what a what a wonderful way to to do like a little yin and yang for yourself in it, prayer. It's true. And and Hallow provides you the habit. You know, it really, it's very easy to fall into bad habits, but this creates a habit of prayer and utilizing it every day. There's such a diversity of what it offers, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's gospel reflections or listening to Jonathan Rumi, who plays, you know, in the chosen as Christ himself and his voice mm-hmm. is just so captivating as, a, you know, we had him on the show and he said the Our Father in yeah, Aramaic and it was one of the most impactful yeah, experiences of our of our time doing the show, you know, but they've got Mark Wahlberg and all these, you know, top level Catholic speakers on there that provide all sorts of insights. Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. Drew, yeah. That's awesome. That. Wow. Yeah. Drew Holiday, my boy. How about yeah. that? Is he with the, the um, Pelicans? Oh, he's yeah, with the, he's been with the Bucks. He's with the Bucks. Yeah. But he's one of the best. He's, I mean, he's a great defense, shooter. Dude. He's a great shooter, but he's also one Very of the top easy. defenders in the in the league. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Hollow is the number one prayer app in the App Store. They have had over a billion prayers prayed through this app. I mean, that is yeah. a staggering amount. Yeah, a billion. Crazy. I mean, it's the the amount of a billion is so much bigger than a million. The mind really can't even <laughs> grab it. It's like a million millions. That's right. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm well, just saying. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy. But this app has a thousand millions. <laughs> a thousand millions. <laughs> Number Rain Man over here. Why do numbers matter? <laughs> because I think it shows you the impact that it's had on society, that over a billion prayers have been prayed through this. And that can't be a bad thing. So go to CatholicTalkShow.com forward slash um, hollow 
H-A-L-L-O-W, to download and try for the free. app for free. All yeah. these apps you can try out for free, see if they work for you. And so, we're halfway through our list. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, like, right. there's going to be some weird stuff on here. No, I don't think so. These yeah, are these pretty are... straightforward, and you could just see that this is... This isn't coming from Catholics. Mm -hmm. This is really coming from, from non-Catholics. Non -Catholics. Yeah, or very poorly catechized Catholics or people trying to get back. Maybe, to yeah, yeah. That's I'm my for impression. their curiosity. Yeah. So the next top, the next top question is why do Catholics baptize babies? So infant baptism again is just another example of where the church is questioned on our practice, mm -hmm. and it's very important to realize the. Uh, the patrimony of our faith. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we have children, we want them to be protected, but we also want them to also be raised in the practice of the faith. You know, there's, there's one way to nurture a child, and that's to nurture them with love. And if the fullness of love entered into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, children need to be exposed and immersed in that love from the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, utilizing the relationships that the faith needs to flourish in, the role of parent and godparent is paramount to our development. And, and it's not just an honorary title. It's like, no, I choose my godparent, you know, to uh, I choose the godparent of my child because I know for a fact that that godparent is going to ra help raise my child in the practice of the faith. Mm -hmm. It's not just an honorary thing that, sure. that's given away. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing too is like, um, if you have a godparent that's not praying or maybe he's falling away from the faith, that's a great way to bring them back is to say, let's sit down, let's go out to dinner, let's sit down and pray for, you know, our, my son and your godson. Yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot there to build mm -hmm. off of each other too as well yeah. in the community. But, you know, specifically about baptizing infants, you know, this, I think this question is coming from a lot of people in the Baptist tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll even have some traditions where they have a rebaptism of people, you know, who are baptized, you know. But we profess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And it's scriptural. You can look in the book of Acts where Peter is staying with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the house, uh, and he converts the head of the house, the father, and then the whole household is baptized. Mm -hmm. Family, servants, and children, right? <clears throat> From the very beginning. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important biblical, to realize, yeah. And Catholics do not believe that baptism is merely a empty words and a gesture. There is graces conferred concretely that make an indelible mark on your spirit and on your soul that are not just a platitude. They are making a no. definitive change to the character of your soul why would we not give that to babies the second that we can to give our children to God and have them adopted through the waters of baptism into the life of Jesus Christ? I don't want to get into a debate, but you could also say the same for the Eucharist, in my opinion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, let's see those are both right. And it's all the sacraments of initiation. Yeah. So baptism, yeah. Eucharist, Eucharist and confirmation, yeah. the completion of baptism is all associated with yeah. the, the progress of, you know, one being claimed for Christ mm -hmm. and original sin being washed away, you know, and, and realizing the effects of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and what that means to our humanity. But then one professing the name of Christ and making a solemn profession, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as as one who has reason. And I have come to know and believe and I am confirmed in the faith and now I am signed mm -hmm. and I and I'm willingly going to live right. the mysteries of. Yeah. So it, the way that the church does it, there's such wisdom 
in its practice, I think we could go into like the restored order, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, move. I think we're waiting a little too long for our children to yeah. be confirmed. I think, you know, when our children receive reconciliation, this is another little tangential piece. You know, we shouldn't have the kids celebrating first reconciliation six months before they receive the Eucharist mm-hmm. or three months or they're going to receive first reconciliation at school, at Catholic school. Like, that's a terrible thing. Like, no, the kids need to receive first reconciliation in the church. Yeah. And when they receive first reconciliation, they immediately need to receive right. first communion. And then in that respect, too, they need to be confirmed. If they can rationally say and intellectually say that that is Jesus, I've come yeah. to realize that the Eucharist is Jesus and I've had this encounter, what's preventing them in their same ability to profess the faith? Mm -hmm. And I I love the restored order to move back in that direction so that we're not confirming kids at like, you know, 13 adolescent like rebellion. But that's a great idea. Let's confirm these kids when they're most rebellious. Yeah, I have a hot take. I don't know if it's a hot take, but it's probably not what is happening in the church is that confirmation should happen at baptism. Because I view confirmation as the sacrament of the Holy Spirit and the sacrament of apostolic succession, right? You are the bishop has to confer confirmation, whether it's through his faculties or him personally, and it's also confirmation is very much uh, you know a sign, a, a lasting reminder of Pentecost, where we are given the Holy Spirit through the chrismation. So we're saying yes, we believe in, you know, if you're looking at the four marks of the church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. This is bringing us together in the oneness of the Holy Spirit and the apostolic nature of it. So that should happen at the same time as baptism. There isn't an error in that. You know, there, there's and no this error is probably because more this of is the Eastern practice. It's, exactly, and it's a, it's yeah. a practice of the East, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. But I, I believe the the pastoral decision of the bishops, which of the makes Latin a lot Church, of sense too, though. Yeah. So yeah. The, the pastoral decision is that you know now they're of the age of reason. It gives us a chance also mm-hmm. to actually have contact with the families and the kids, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully get them in the practice of living the faith, going to confession, mm-hmm. receiving the Eucharist, understanding the profession of the faith. So I'm I'm definitely for the restoration stored order, not so much, uh, you know, to do the the, the, the Eastern, Eastern approach. Right. Yeah. It's just the danger is that it can become kind of a graduation ceremony. That's the problem. Yeah. That's exactly the problem. And it, you look at when First Holy Communions happen mm-hmm. and look at what confirmations happen for the most part, yeah. you know? I mean, you get out of grade it's school like, and it's oh, like, hey, bing, okay, I've graduated. And, and how many people I know who said, well, man, I haven't been to church since confirmation because yeah. you get confirmed at 13, 14, your hormones go crazy, you start... Smoking weed and finding girls and growing your hair out and going hitchhiking. These are all very specific. Speak for yourself. What? Yeah, it oh. sounds like you're speaking about and yourself. And you, then you get married and then you realize that you got to get your life together, you know, to you know help your wife and your young child and you're 22 and you're like, dude, what are you doing with your life? Give it to get back to church. You're like, wow, I haven't been here since confirmation. <laughs> like, that's a really common story. Right? It is. <laughs> it was mine. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of people's. It's a lot of people's. But, you know, baptizing infants, again, it's like we really truly believe that baptism is being, is you, we're being reborn in the death of the waters and being reborn in Christ. And we would absolutely be remiss and honestly, I would say bad if we wouldn't want to give that to our child the second that we could. It's negligent. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it is. And there's a, there's a definite <clears throat> Now that doesn't mean that we just go baptize, because my mother-in-law did that <laughs> once a baby was born. She, she, you know, it's like, hey, look, you know, you can wait a week or so. Let's make sure we... You know, kind of, 
I don't know, say that. Growing up, my grandmother would not let any of us out of the house until we were baptized. She'd be like, she'd be like, Karen, you take that kid Man, out of the I house before it's baptized. Like my grandpa, you yeah. take that you take that baby out of the house before it's baptized and it gets pneumonia and dies and goes to hell. <laughs> Good <laughs> job, you're a bad mom. Right? You, so I mean it's like, dude, ten, eight days. Like and I like I always think of <laughs> no, no, I love it. I, I mean, you got me thinking about my grandparents. Yeah, too. that's what, that's how they did it it's back then. It's a generation, then. man. Yeah. I miss that. That's good. I miss that. Um, so, next question. Why do Catholics light candles? Why do Catholics light candles? Yeah. Well, they're beautiful. They smell great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm going to light a candle right now while that's we That's actually a great this. idea. I've just been stiffing the chrism. There, there's we a lot of... about baptism. There's a lot of symbolic value in this. There's, um, you know, the... The work of bees. I mean, the the lighting of candles goes back to the ancient practices of any form of ritual, but also just the practical elements of of what this means. Uh, you know, to being able to see the ritual books and and um, but beyond that, you know, making a votive uh, you know offering in this manner, putting a light to something that is is dark for you, and mm-hmm. and and you've got a certain darkness in your life that you can't see beyond and, and you don't know how to address it or approach it. You light a candle in a holy place, in a sanctuary, in a shrine. You're you're lighting a candle just asking God, like, I can't really see here. Please, you know, I, I light this candle and petition to you, God, to have mercy and, and help show me the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's certainly why I like candles. And I love the a, a true candle, you know, yeah. like we have great candle votive. Uh, yeah, you can find these on everythingcatholic.com. These are the ones that we have mm-hmm. in the studio. Also the house. scented candles. We were just talking about yeah. baptism, man. Yeah. It is it is quite a smell. Mm-hmm. You want to make a place holy, man. That See, chrism oil is, oof. Yeah. You know, here's something I think that non-Catholics misunderstand. They see a candle. They see a picture. They see a statue. They see holy water. And they say, oh, you guys are pagans. You're worshiping this and that or whatever. Yeah, sac- like we're worshiping sacramentals. Yeah, but they misunderstand that our God is merciful, right? Our God is giving us the mercy and understanding that we are incarnational beings who have bodies and who have senses. He created our senses. And he's allowing us to use these senses to focus ourselves on him and asking for his mercy and grace. So when we light a candle in prayer, it's not a magic spell. It's not like, hocus pocus, I light this candle and all of a sudden my wish comes true. It's not, you're not rubbing a genie's lamp. What you're doing is you're using the physical created world and the work of human hands and the work of the bees to create something that focuses your heart and mind on prayer. And it becomes also a sacramental if they're blessed, that the light itself is an archetype of Christ's light breaking through the darkness, and that light can bless you and senses, again, to focus on God and the Trinity. Does the the created order not give praise to God? Yeah. Like the created order absolutely gives praise to God. Dolphins and water creatures, bless Bless the the Lord. Lord. (laughs) Sun and moon. Bless the Lord, wind and chill. Bless the Lord. I was going to say, when we were at Mass this morning, I was looking um, under the statue of Mary, uh, and there was votive candles lit. Uh, My perception was that those were prayers. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and that elicited my me literally putting those prayers on the altar Amen. for them on their behalf Amen. and interceding also to Mary that these people have, you know, they've not only asked you to intercede for them, but they've actually made the sort of the physical act of lighting this candle and putting it in front of you. I mean, like, that's a beautiful way to sort of um, physically display your prayerfulness. Mm-hmm. And I think it also in 
encapsulates physically what's going on in somebody's soul when they're asking for that mm -hmm. prayer too as well. And we've talked a lot about Father Tetlow, you know, and what he went through, what he's gone through with uh, with his procedure and stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I went down to the mission grounds, I was walking through and, and you know, going on to the sacred acre and looking to the left, they have all of those votive candles mm -hmm. and seeing his name written, Father Tetlow, oh, Father Tetlow, Father Tetlow, Father Tetlow. And, you know, that impacts me because, I, I mean, I love the guy. I'm, I'm praying as well. And it's like to see so many people just offering prayers to what you're saying. It just really encourages and inspires. And it's like, wow, like, God, you're really moving yeah. the hearts of people to, to rally around this. You know, I had something that was really, I feel, revelatory to me. So I, don't know, I, I was... I dropped my son Johnny off at school, and I was thinking, man, I just love that kid. I'd do anything for him. You know, and sometimes God mm -hmm. can be a very obscure, a very hidden God, you know. But then I, the thought occurred to me that how you love your son, Johnny, as a father, that is how God loves you with that intense, gentle, and generous fatherhood. Mm -hmm. And most people, you know, they say he's, you know, Think of God as, you know, old white men in the robe throwing lightning bolts every time you <laughs> masturbate. That's not God, <laughs> right? That, see, and that's so, but so many people think of God in our modern culture that God is just out to smite you. It's not. God loves you with all the tenderness that you love your children with, with an infinite degree more. That's got to be worth a dollar, don't you think? I don't think so. That's... I mean, that <laughs> That was all. That was all. I'll pay you a dollar. <laughs> um, that was very good. But if God is so generous and so merciful and so understanding, and He loves us so tenderly, wouldn't He let us have all these things that help bring us closer to Him? Wouldn't He say, "Here's light. Here's a candle. Here's something that'll focus you and put you at peace. Here's here's some incense. Here's, here's some, some hot coals. Here, yeah. You know. Here's." Here is my mother mm -hmm. who will intercede on your behalf. Mm -hmm. Here is an image that you can then focus your mind on me. Here's a rosary from yeah. Ave Rosary, you know, that you could pray with. And Here's beautiful chants created by the mind and mm -hmm. hearts of, of great musicians. All of these things are mercies that he lavishes on us. And people who are just looking to be contrarian to the church because that is the, I guess, the... Um, the path that their family's history has put them in or maybe their particular catechesis has brought them to, they're denying this lavish mercy and love that the Father's putting on them, and, and it's a tragedy. And, and, what the tra and what the tradition upholds. Like, there yeah. has to be a certain level of respect and, like, recognition. Like, wow, this has been happening for 2,000 years? Yeah. Like, something's kind of being said here. Yeah. And what I love about all this is, like, this is what actually people are searching for. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather this... Than like not even caring, yeah. you know, like they're generally curious. Yeah. So this one's going to hit near and dear to you. Why do Catholic priests not marry? Why do Catholic priests spend their entire life alone in bed eating the Lord's chips? Why do you do this? I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's an invitation, you know, like when it comes to priestly celibacy, why do Catholic priests have to be celibate is the next one in yeah. line, you know? Um, you know, the, the whole sense is like it's an invitation into greater communion with Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ himself was celibate. And living out the celibate call, his life was ordered toward living the heavenly reality. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like something that is definitely not appealing to the worldly view of, of yeah. one's life. And But when it is an invitation of Christ and Christ calls, you know, those to 
choose this state and follow him is an invitation to, yes, a challenging life, but also one that is extremely beautiful and powerful and mysterious that, that is ecstatic in moments of the depths of communion that you can have with Christ in the middle of your in in the middle of your suffering mm-hmm. or struggle. Yeah, I mean St. Paul says it in scripture. I mean celibacy has a long history as a devotion, as a way of consecrating yourself and as a way of really entering into in a deep way the participation of the ministry of God and the priesthood. Whether you're looking at the priesthood, the the you know of Aaron in the Old Testament, whether you're looking at the Nazarites in the Old Testament who made all these kinds of sacrifices or you're looking at the words of St. Paul. I mean or the contemporaries of yeah. Jesus and John the Baptist in the Essene community. hundred percent. Yeah, like, you know, celibacy has been a reality. John the Beloved and the traditions of the church and, yeah. and being celibate and being singularly devoted. You know, being singularly devoted, and I'm glad that you brought up St. Paul too, is, you know, like to, to live, you know, in, in that exclusivistic manner uh, in communion with Christ and, and entering more deeply into that mystery is, is really a privilege and, a, and an honor. Yeah, and there is a lot of Catholic priests who do get married. Very much in the East, whether mm-hmm. you're looking at the, you know, the Byzantine and the Ruthenian and, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the Eastern Rite churches. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of married Catholic churches who are converts from Anglicanism mm-hmm. who are in the ordinariate. We had a great uh, yeah. episode with Father Justin. On yeah. That. yeah, that was a great conversation. So Catholic priests do marry, uh, but the majority of them do not voluntarily. This is not like a, this is not dogmatic. This is a voluntary life decision you know, that you guys make. It's true. Yeah. So where are we going next? So the next question from Google's, why do Catholic priests wear black, aside from it being the coolest color, right? Absolutely. It's certainly my favorite color, and it's the thing that's, you know, most populated in my Technically, closet. it's not a color. It's the absence of color. Says the colorblind guy. <laughs> That's the only one I get. <laughs> so it's your favorite color too, and it's I absent mean, from you and me. <laughs> so I mean, this goes this goes together with you know like why do priests wear blacks? Why do people? Why do priests wear collars? Why do they wear robes? Why do you know? And I'm sure that that's a curious thing for for all sorts of people that are not Catholic or even Catholic. You know why? You know, why does a priest kind of stand out like that? Well, first and foremost, you know, we get our ecclesiastical garb, the sense of church garment or church garb, what priests wear from an ecclesiastical tradition that's rooted in academia, actually, because for the most part, priests were the educated people in a community. They were the ones who were driving education. They were the ones who were driving health care. They were the ones driving all sorts of, uh, you know, societal initiatives to to minister to the poor. Mm-hmm. So yeah. all sorts of things. So they needed to be identifiable. And, and it was primarily like academic garb. So that's where the cassock originally comes from. But, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, like the sense of what this represents uh, to me personally and, and, and what it, you know, helps me with is that it, it reminds me of my death to self. Like I, I've died to myself mm-hmm. and it helps remind me of that. Um, you and, think he doesn't want to wear neon yellow Nike shirts with, you know, blue stripes and all kinds of colors. He wants, he wants to wear to. The, the Hawaiian Miami Absolutely. shirt. Honestly, what I really hair. want to wear is a Vince Carter jersey. Yeah, the especially big dinosaur like, purple one. Yes. But he doesn't. My move. He does that for you. He wears I wear black. the jersey for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's, you know, it's that sense of, of dying to self, you know. Yeah. Um, and, 
you know, the the collar and what I love about the the way is like, you know, it's it's reflecting on, you know, I'm governed by the the resurrection. Like my my, you know, I'm 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 being shepherded by Christ, the chief shepherd, the 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 good shepherd who's who's really, you know, collared me, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. And and it and, and I'm governed by that. Like I'm directed by that. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I appreciate. And the Lord knows I need a collar, you yeah. know, in all in all reality. Like I, I need that. What is that collar called? This is a a, a, a Roman collar. A Roman collar. Yeah. And a Roman collar, you know, look if you look into like the fifteen hundreds, sixteen hundreds, it was common fashion. Like just a regular dude mm-hmm. walked down the street, that was like wearing a tie. Yep. Uh, and it was all it was cloth. Yeah. You know, and, and it goes all the way around the neck. Yeah. Keep the neck sweat off the garment. It's the, it, a lot of the stuff is practical. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from, tris, you know, the traditions. But then they kept on wearing it. And then as fashion changed, they stood out more and more. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of took on more meaning. It take, became like, well, you know, I mean, if you walked down the street and you saw someone wearing a top hat and a three-piece suit, you'd yeah. be like, what's up with this dude? Yeah. That's only 100 years ago, bro. That was common. But now, like, wow, that person must be doing something very special. They must be going to a gala, a ball conducting an orchestra there's something that stands out and it's the same kind of concept with the roman collar with even the vestments they were common wear and then as fashion moved on and you know they stayed in the same kind of clothes it became unique and then it kind of has this different historical divergence to where it develops on its own and that's what i love about the transcendence of what we do in the practice of the faith is that we have customs and we have traditions that we still retain yeah and and there is a sense of timelessness you know, in, in respect to what we wear and what we do. Yeah. And there should be that associated with the liturgy. So when you mm-hmm. come to the robes that we wear and to, you know, copes and vestments, and we've done shows on this stuff, which we highly recommend taking yeah. a look at, and we could probably throw some hyperlinks in there, mm-hmm. you know. Hyperlinks? What is this, 1999? Well, speaking of 1999, <laughs> you know, the change, whole sense remember? of cassock, like, <laughs> you know, in the 70s, it wasn't, like 70s, 80s, it wasn't popular to wear a cassock no. in clerical attire. But, you know, then Matrix, come, Matrix comes out and... No. And, you know, and then everybody's Keanu cool and like everybody's cool again. All these young priests want to wear, a, you know, a cassock. Not to do away with what the, you know, the Vatican II did, but you know, it's uh, it's cool to yeah. wear a cassock. Yeah, check me out. Yeah, I mean, in a hundred years, you might have like, well, look, of course we wear hoodies. That's just what priests wear, you know. <laughs> yeah. And we're all wearing something futuristic. Yeah, we got a bunch of young priests in my parish in Houston. Big shout out to Father Chad. I know you listen, Father Anderson. These guys wear cassocks like to the store. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, and I'm just like, whoa, dude, that is bold, bro. <laughs> like that, I mean, that is like so bold, you know. But and they I, just walk around, just like whatever, you know. I'm just I tell you what, it, it, it stops people when there's tracks. So like, I, I, I remember going into the hospital with two sisters, the Nashville Dominicans. They were visiting the kids at St. Joseph Academy, and I'm dressed in like a, a suit collar. And we're walking down the middle of the hospital, man, and like doctors, nurses, you know, executives, and you know, like people were just like out getting out of the way. And we were going through the <laughs> hospital to go visit this kid that her heart stopped. Oh, and man. I mean, it was beautiful. And we walked down, I had chills just up and down my body. And we went and prayed over her. And the the effect of the fullness of of the church ministry mm. meeting her with a, a sister, religious, two religious consecrated women that that are meeting her in prayer and that feminine deposit of, of consolation. Yeah. And then, you know, the being the priest and chaplain of, of you know, that, that student it was just, it was an awesome, it was an awesome experience. And we need to, we need to retain that. We need to get that, you know, get that back. Yeah. I just did a search on why do nuns on Google and it's cover their hair, wear habits, wear veils, right? 
And I think there's something very, you can infer that people are asking this because priests and, and sisters do stand out. And you are wearing clerical clothes as a sign to the world that you are set apart, that you are set apart to service and consecration to... Why do nuns have male names? <laughs> well, they used to. <laughs> yeah. They still no, do. But, yeah, some they of them still, still do. do. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like it's <laughs> so funny, and and but but it's and it may be confusing to people, but yeah. Yeah. again, like you may have like if, if for example, look at how many men choose a, a woman's name like Maria, like yeah. Saint John Maria yeah, v- yeah, Vianney. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if I were to if I had a name that I would choose to like if if at some point like I had to choose a name and I became religiously professed, Penelope. I, I bet you I know I know for a fact Faustina would be in my uh, name. Uh, Faustina is a cool name. Too. You know, Faustina That's would absolutely Maria's be middle in my name. name. You baptized her. I, I, I remember that uh, like. Super clearly, but even like, Saint Faustina, her name comes from Saint Faust, right? Yep. And we so, were late. Yeah. So I had a nun. I had a aunt. Her name was Saint John Mary. And and one of the most, uh, I can't say like the. Can I say badass? Sure. Is that is that allowed or is that a dollar? It's worth a dollar, but it's going to our good cause. All right, it's going to the capital campaign, okay. so we're going to let it flow. <laughs> let it flow. Right. Um, but Sister Thomas Aquinas, man. Oh yeah. Sister, she's a sister of Saint Joseph, man. She just she was incredible. I just love. She was so inspiring, and she was like the the principal at at BK, just like a real strong, powerful woman, man, and and a great leader. So let's end the episode with let's see what Google says about us. Why the Catholic talk show is so <laughs> <It's> bad? <laughs> why is the Catholic talk show bad? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, why is the Catholic talk show showing reruns? Well, that's kind of cool. The talk show. Oh, okay. Why? Let's see. The Catholic talk show hosts YouTube and Fatima. That's what people are looking for us oh, on there. That's cool. They want to know about us. They want to know Spain and Spain. Spain. (laughs) So, by the time this episode airs, we might very well be in Fatima. Fatima, nice. So, well, this was an enjoyable one. You know, I didn't know that all about Google and stuff, but uh, it's really refreshing and and encouraging to see what people are searching for as it relates to the Catholic faith. It creates a wonderful opportunity to evangelize and catechize what the church actually teaches. And we hope that this has been that for you. And, you know, connecting with you in this way gives us a wonderful, you know, access into the digital world where some of these questions are being asked. Yeah. Yeah. And I think more priests and, and bishops should look at this stuff and use this kind of intuitive nature say, what are people asking? Because one of the things I've said for years is that too often the church's answering questions that nobody's asking. They're going out and saying, well, you know, and they're giving this big thing and no one's asking that. People are um, asking very specific things. They have very specific needs. And if you can meet them where those needs and those questions are at. It's it's way more practical than we think. Isn't it? It is way more practical. It's a great point. Yeah. It's a great point. Way more practical. And you know what's way more practical for you to do right now is click the little thumbs up sign for us. Give us a little love online. Share some, uh, you know, positive feedback and spread the word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Continue to subscribe on all of our platforms. And if you're considering becoming a financial supporter of the show, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon. You'll see all the ways that you could support us, all the different tiers, and we've got some awesome gear we want to send your way, like coffee cups and hoodies and so much more. Vampire slaying kits were, were in in vogue for, for a little a while, while, too. Yeah. But uh, what's in vogue always, each and every week, is the Catholic Talk Show, and we want to make sure that you're going to tune in next week, and we'll see you later. God bless. Thank you for watching.
for watching the Catholic talk show. We'll see you next week. Father Rich is great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>